0: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Myself, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie out here in well, it's been relatively sunny Portugal for this week, Gordo, for World Superbike testing. Relatively, will
1: do me. That's fine. After uh, some of the experiences in the winter times in the past, I'll take the two days we had in Portimao. No problem.
0: Yeah, the two days we had in Harrah, a little bit less so, but I wasn't there,
1: uh, and that's fine by me. I wasn't there.
0: Yeah, you, it's bad whenever Glasgow is actually the sunnier alternative to the south of Spain.
1: Yeah. Well, you tell me when that happens, and I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you know how it went.
0: We've lots to get through on today's show, and um, we're looking. Just back on this week in testing for World SBK. We've got a couple of interviews as well. Chaz Davis, Alex Lowe's, just to go into this podcast. And then in Australia in a few weeks' time, South and Gordo will record a podcast after the two days of testing down in Phillip Island. And we'll also put in some more interviews down there. We've got one with Jonathan Ray, and we'll have another couple of riders included in that as well. So lots of preseason content for World SBK. And Gordo, this was a really interesting week as well with the preseason testing. We got new bikes. We've got couple of riders that have changed teams and uh, lots to talk about.
1: Yes, it's been uh, it's been great this year. There's so many. Uh, the pot's been mixed up a lot this year and that's exactly what we need. Uh, lots of the combinations that have been in this championship have proved that they, they, they can't quite get to Jonathan. If anybody's really intent and get to Jonathan, something has to change. They have to try and change and make an improvement either for them or moving to a, a better bike or whatever. And there's, there's some new stuff. Everybody seems to be bringing new material even the people have got existing bikes. And that's exactly what we need. Uh, we need to get a bit more interest from people outside. We need to get some new faces and new teams. Uh, and we need to get strong second riders along with the strong first riders uh, to allow greater combined effort so that even one of those guys can take on the challenge of Jonathan uh and i mean obviously the, the top of the shot for that now is the new honda which just looks great
0: yeah and uh you've brought up the new honda so we'll bring in one of the questions we have from one of our listeners from earlier in the week jacko ritz just uh tweeting in uh, everybody's talking about the new honda but nobody's talking about the new r1 what do you think about both of those bikes will there be a lot of changes will they be fast
1: uh, well, let's deal with the Yamaha first because it's a, a known quantity from, from last year. I think that every single little bit of that Yamaha seems to be a bit better and certainly a little bit more towards racing. Um, all, the riders think it's a little bit faster. They think it, it, it drive grip's a little bit better. They, they think it's a, lot, a, little, a few little improvements. We'll see whether those will be enough once they get them absolutely nailed on in the best possible package or the best combination of all the new things they have. Uh, new suspension. Uh, This year, uh, I think, will be the big key for them. They seem to be working on rear suspension a lot. Uh, So, yes, that's possible. that The step-up for the Yamaha might be enough to let them be competitive every race, which is their only real problem. They, They need to be competitive everywhere. And they've got Toprak, who is just a rider. He's just going to ride whatever he gets and get the maximum results. The Honda looks great. I mean, it looks it looks like an ordinary road bike from distance and then you go up close and then you can tell all the little details and all the little preparations. And it it does look a lot meaner than the last bike, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything for racing. But anybody else that has mentioned it, even those that weren't happy about talking about it, uh, basically said it's a missile on the straight and you need that, you need that now. Uh, and that's the thing that uh, will be the key for other people to if they want to beat... The KRT setup, which has been champions for five years in a row, is that their bike is a bit older. The engine architecture is a bit older. The Honda has a very modern version of a theoretically conventional motorbike. And the first thing about that is engine performance. It, both riders seem very happy with the engine performance. And even the rivals that I've mentioned that it say it's quick.
0: Yeah, when we talked to Scott Redding yesterday he was saying that uh, well for one thing I don't want to talk about this bike it's nothing to do with me but for another thing when he was behind it he did say it's a missile on the straight which is one of the big things that Honda knew they'd need to do given what we saw with Ducati last year in the step they made with the v 4 r but uh, we had a question as well from Porcupine just about Bautista and what he said about the bike and uh, obviously enough last year Honda had three tests Aragon Horeth and Portimao. Bautista skipped the Portimao test. He just uh, become a father and he wanted to be at home for that mm-hmm. and uh, skipped that uh, test down in Portimao. But immediately that bike was fast in each of the other circuits. We went to Aragon a week beforehand for a group test for World SBK. By everything I could figure out, the Honda was about a second off the pace there. Down in Horeth, it was a little bit faster. And then Portimao, it seemed that on the race tyres, it was very strong. And that's what we saw this week as well. Leon has them round about eight tenths of a second off on the Q tyre, but a lot closer on the race tyres.
1: Yes, and I think also they are still doing basics. They are still working through what is the bike going to be through the season. They're still working out the best combination of things. Everything is brand new for them. Um, None of the data is going to be transferable from the old bike. Um, Even if that's what they used as the idea of this one. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, I don't think they're ready and I think Batista knows it from all the comments that he made yesterday he seemed a little bit worried that all they're going to run out of is time however I've got vague memories of last year of him being the same kind of mood and the same kind of mentality but when they went to Phillip Island for the test they, they took all the data from the winter test went to Australia we've still got a bit of time now uh, put together all the best stuff and all of a sudden they just clicked on a front end set up for him they let him then go and win the first, I think, 11 races in a row. Haslam yesterday said 15 races, but I think it was 11 uh, in, in a row. Just, you know, total domination at the beginning. So anything's possible. And again, what did the Ducati have that compared to everybody else last year was power. So if they can harness that power and get it to behave itself, they'll be fine. I think Batista's not sure if they're going to be ready yet. That's what I'm reading between the lines of what he said.
0: Yeah, and in terms of what Bautista was saying as well yesterday, he was talking about the difference between this time and 12 months ago, the Ducati a lot further along in its yes. development. They'd spent yes. 18 months testing. I remember we were at uh, yeah. Harath in 2018, and there was already a Ducati V4 going around doing laps yes, at that CC. stage. Yeah. So yeah. they yeah. were really yeah. far forward with their development compared to where Honda are now. That's what Bautista seems to be missing. The one thing that he was really struggling with though in this test, every time I went out watching trackside you could see that he wasn't comfortable on the front end mm. and uh, whenever other riders were following him they did comment on that as well so for bautista it's all about and he said it yesterday finding the confidence with this bike mm. and with this
1: package and if they do that i think you'll be fine um last year was an unbelievable start in every possible way uh, and there are reasons for that, that you've touched on about preparation but uh if they get everything right for Australia, I don't see any reason why they can't be right there. And Leon, with always the experience and one more test and so on, uh, he seems a lot happier with the bike than Bautista does. Uh, and I, I, I think it's possible that Honda. I really do. I think they could be tenth. I think they could win the first race. Yeah,
0: We've got another question related to the Honda and Bautista as well. Gordo from Glenn McGregor. And Glenn's asking... Um, with the inline fours generally viewed as being a little bit better for corner speed and not needing to use the power quite as dramatically as what you use with the V4s. Just how did Bautista last year manage to
1: ride with such a high corner speed on the Ducati at times? Um, I think it's just that that bike was another step on. It's it's pretty hard edge stiff race bike. And I think when they found the setup for that, that allowed them to... Uh, to to get their, their advantage, it was much more of a race bike than anybody else's, and we are racing them. Uh, and that's why everybody says it jumps on a the Ducati. There's a few people on Ducatis for the first time this year, and they all say it feels really hard, stiff, and racy, and quite uh, on the edge. But when you get to the the correct side of that edge, it's a tool, and that I think is why it was. It, and obviously, setup was a very individual thing. He found his early on and was quite happy. And I think it's only when they started trying to find an improvement in the bike, they actually, certainly for Batista, didn't. They actually did the opposite and he started crashing. That confidence was lost. So, I mean, the engineering side, they'll never tell you how they did it and what they did and and exactly what what steps were taken. Um, But it's all about confidence. But that bike was a stage forward. As a pure race bike, it was a stage forward compared to almost anything else last year.
0: Yeah, it's also worth remembering with Bautista and his riding style. Last year, especially with the Ducati, he did tend to brake very early, getting the gas very early. So that's also yeah. what gives him a lot of that mid-corner speed. So a lot of it comes down to his style as well as just down to the bike. But uh, for Bautista, for Australia, it's going to be really interesting to see, though, just those steps that they can make for round one. Like you talked there just a moment ago, Gordo, about last year they made this big step at the Phillip Island test. This year, he's still got Julio Navo as his crew chief. So he's still going to have that confidence that yeah. Julio is going to be able to find the solution. But it would have been surprising to absolutely everyone to see Bautista nearly three seconds off the pace yesterday, 16th fastest on the timing screens, yeah. and much more so just how much more comfortable and confident Leon has them. It might be testing, but we are getting closer and closer to the start of the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But as I say, uh, it, it's all early days for them. Even Leon's still trying to find his right setup, but he looks a lot more comfortable and fast. Um, And I think that the the thing about Phillip Island, and and it's a weird track. It's so fast. And obviously you need to have a a fast enough bike. But at the end of the day, what you really need there is the rider can make a big difference at Phillip Island. The electronics don't have so much to do with it because it's all big, fast flowing corners. But the most important thing is tyres. And if you get to manage the tyres and use the tyres well, that's fine. If Bautista yesterday was not confident that, okay, that's fine. That can be found if the setup comes to him. But, it's also a case of they're still working through lots of things. They're trying things out. And that doesn't allow you to build pace over a, a testing weekend or testing days to then put in a fast lap at the end. And maybe he was told, I don't care. But he didn't look happy yesterday uh, with where they are at, the, at present. He was in a hurry to get out of the track as well, wasn't he? Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know I don't know whether he's a pressing engagement or whatever, but they were very keen to, uh, to, to keep the interview short. Uh, that we had with him Um, and sometimes that's just because the riders leaving but I mean, you know, yeah yeah, it wasn't he didn't seem happy yesterday I think Haslam compared to him was was much more relaxed so in terms of the overall project maybe there's a lot of the work being done it just hasn't been done over in Batista's side yet
0: It's interesting with Honda as well there wasn't a quarter because before this Portimao test I had heard that they were going to test out in Qatar before round one we asked Bautista about that after day one, and he was quick to say, no, 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 that's only a PR day just to go out ride around Qatar, just a press launch for the new bike. But since then, I've even heard rumors that it's actually, yeah, it's not the world superbike they're going to be testing, but the whole team's going out. They're going to test with the Japanese superbike instead. So there is a lot of rumors about like just the sheer level of investment that we're seeing from Honda. When
1: you look into that garage, it looks full factory now, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, absolutely, from top to bottom. Uh, know, little screens around it, even when they've got the garage door open, they've got little screens around the bike, you name it. Um, testing is, is, is getting to be limited in, in this championship now. There are limits within the season, et there, there are limits now. Um, so that's why some people have got test teams. So they don't have the rider that's going to ride it on, but they have someone else doing it. Uh, and maybe there's something they can try there that doesn't, that still lets them test a bike. That isn't the World Superbike. Who knows? It's uh, you know, there was an unplanned K- KRT test purely because of the weather in Jerez and they weren't going to do Portimao. But they felt even with a, a bike that's fully ready and developed, they felt they needed another day and they went to Barcelona. So I think everybody realizes the importance of starting well and getting out the blocks in Australia well, because most of the championships that Jonathan's won have been from the front, the exception being last year. Uh, But that's now made it even more important for Kawasaki to want Jonathan to be at the front, for Bautista to be ready, so maybe they will. I I haven't heard exactly the same thing as you about that, I haven't heard exactly that rumour, but hey, how close can you run, how close can you sail to the wind?
0: So... Well, this was one of the big things a couple of years ago whenever the testing restrictions in season really did get much more enforced and Suzuka testing was then counted against your World Superbike yeah, days yeah. as well. Yeah. So there's lots of different there's lots of different ways to get around the rules but the rules are an awful lot more strict than they had been in the past and Gordo, you just mentioned there the Kawasaki test out in Montmelo. I was going to talk about Ducati first but we'll just jump yeah. straight into Kawasaki because everyone said it this week. This is a, ca- a Strong track for Kawasaki. This is a track where Johnny always goes well. He's not here in Portimao, so you don't really know where you stand. Mm -hmm. They were out for a single day out in Montmelò instead. And by all accounts, from the few comments that uh, we've seen or heard from Barcelona, that was a good test. A lot of dry conditions for them once the,
1: the day started to wear on and decent running for Kawasaki. Yeah, I think they're glad they did it because I think they needed it. Certainly, Lowe's needed more dry track time. That was the first thing he started talking about. Uh, And it just shows you how important it is for them to to continue their work and development within the the few changes they're allowed to do this year because they don't have a new homologation for the first time in several years. They haven't got any real new parts of the bike, only those that are allowed under the, the terms of the regulations. So they're obviously trying to find every combination of them to get them in a better position. The, one of the reasons that team is so successful is they never really stop trying to develop things, even when they've got a bike that's winning race after race after race. It's the same for any race team that's that's dominated. Um, and obviously, it's a new track. It's round the corner from the workshops. There was there's lots of reasons to to want to have that test, but it was a bit last minute, and it was only done to try and get more track time. One to learn the new track. Two to really confirm the stuff that they they couldn't do because of weather in previous tests. And because I've got a new rider on board who's never ridden the Kawasaki before. What do you make
0: of those on the Kawasaki from what you've seen in the November test, especially, and just from talking to him as well? He seems really relaxed about this. As I said, we'll have an interview with him. I recorded it here in Portimao, or sorry, in Horef this week. So we'll have that for the pre-season podcast. But he seems really relaxed. He's more focused than I've seen him. He looks fitter and stronger and really looks like he's ready for the start of the season just on that back foot given the lack of running.
1: I think he's... Uh, the, the thing I remember about him is even though he's changed uh, the bikes since he came to World Superbike, he's not changed teams until now. There's still been the same kind of people around him. Uh, and that... This is a big change for him to go to a non-UK team uh, even though it's, a, it's a, such a, a strong team. But it's also a team that is dominated in results by, by Jonathan. Um, it used to be Sykes's team if you like, then it became Jonathan's team, you know, in a way, Uh, and certainly direction, you follow the guy that's winning. So, I think if he can adapt to the bike that is suited to Jonathan's style, and has gone in a winning direction, if he can adapt himself to the bike well enough, and they can give him enough to make it his bike as well, it's always a two-way street, then he should be absolutely fine. That is a championship-winning bike. And the engine architecture is quite old now, but it's plainly enough. It won the championship by a comfortable margin last year. Um, as long as he can be consistent on the bike, which I think is what he's chasing more than anything else this year, uh, and he was m- much improved than last year, finishing third in the championship. But if he, can, if he can do that job, I think he's going to have a great season. Is he going to beat Jonathan? Is anybody going to beat Jonathan over a full season? It's a difficult one. So, it's a great opportunity for him. I think Yamaha was as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts. You've obviously been in this paddock a long time. You've seen that Provac team develop over the years. Marcel's really a strong crew chief for him. That group around him, very strong as well. They know and understand that bike very well. So obviously to be able to jump into that, it does shortcut an awful lot of the learning experience for you.
1: He's on a finished package that just has to be molded to him and him moulded to understand the character of that bike and maximise it. Um, And if they get that done, I don't see any reason why Lowe's can't have a stellar season because it's consistency is what those guys, at at full pace, all the time, is what those guys are all about. That's how you win championships and that's how you challenge for championships. What we've seen other riders in the past do is make mistakes by charging maybe too hard, desperately not trying to lose five points and end up losing 10 or 20. You know, We've seen that. That's been a repeating story. Um and that's what Alex has to concentrate on as well as the bike and everything else is just be comfortable. What he keeps saying is, I want to be comfortable, make it feel on my bike, and I think over the last couple of tests, I've made really big, really big strides on that. Um, from what his comments were in his release yesterday, he seems very uh, much more comfortable. If he can carry that through to Australia, ends possible.
0: Yeah, everything he said to me has been that he really enjoys riding the bike every time he gets out in it. he seems to enjoy it a little bit more, understand it a little bit more. And uh, as I said, he seems very comfortable and confident within the team. So we'll actually, we'll play that interview that we did with Alex from last week in Horeth as well. And when we come back after that, then we'll look to, towards Ducati and Yamaha and some of the rest of the grid. Alex Lowe's joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast and Alex we're going to look forward to the 2020 season and obviously for you this is a real opportunity the biggest opportunity you've had for a long time in a lot of people's eyes moving to Kawasaki a team that's won so many championships yeah it's a,
2: a fantastic opportunity for me um obviously last year I was with the, the Crescent Racing team for a long time and Yamaha for the past four seasons so um I think finishing third last year was 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 good. It was nice to to leave that team with some good results, and I want to go better now. Join the you know join this team, um, yeah. That's I'm looking forward to the season. There's not much more to say than that. Other other than uh, yeah, I need to get started. it all come together because it took some people by surprise whenever the news was announced. Yeah, it took me by surprise to be honest. As a uh, yeah, a lot earlier than people think. Really, right back in the, the start of August, we was. Neil, um, well, my manager, was approached by the guys from Kawasaki if, if it was available for, for next year um, or if you know, something would be interested in. Obviously, it, I remember Neil calling me saying, oh, Would you be interested? is obviously a funny question because obviously it was. And then the Yamaha thing wasn't clear, so we just sort of went down this route and all managed to come together quite well. So, um, yeah, it was obviously at that time I was fully focused on the season. I had had a, a good season battling with my teammate. Michael, um, which I enjoyed, so I was just focused on that. And then in the background, this was
0: all going on and everything coming together nicely. And obviously, at that stage, it was just after Suzuki had come back after another strong showing there, yeah, another yeah. strong showing for Yamaha, and suddenly the opportunity for coming to hear me.
2: Yeah, I felt bad really for Yamaha, a little bit in the press because it was like they sort of
0: just dumped
2: me, which it wasn't really the case behind the scenes. You know, they was. It was great by me and that was still an opportunity to be there if I wanted to be there, but um, I can't fault, it was, you know, I enjoyed my years there and, and I wish them all the best, so um, yeah, Suzuki was funny obviously because Kawasaki managed to win, it was a little bit controversial at the end of what happened, but I did a great job there and uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's always, always interesting, obviously I've been with the same team the whole world through bike career, so changing teams and, and if you could if you could choose any team to ride for, on paper obviously it would be this team. If you could choose anyone to have as your teammate, it would obviously be the guy that's just won five world titles, so, so you can engage yourself. So I'm in a really fortunate position, and, and I feel lucky and, and motivated to get to get going. Well, let's, let's
0: look at those two topics then as well. Like obviously the team. Yeah. You come in, you've joined what was Tom Sykes' crew for a long time. Yeah. We worked with Haslam last year as yeah. well, and working with Marcel and, and the guys. How's that been? Yeah,
2: it's been good. Um, Obviously, any change, the team and the, the sporting side of it, working with the guys and mechanics and the crew chief with Marcel, that's such an important part because on a race weekend, you've got to be on the same page as each other, maximising the, the time you have to improve the bike, essentially, for the races. So it's so important to be to, to get them relationships strong early on. And I feel like I've, I've come in and it's been, it's been fine from the first test. The weather's been against us at all the tests, but... Um, the relationship with the guys is great. They understand what I need already as a, as a rider, what I like and what I don't like, and uh, they're understanding my comments, which is always always nice to see your comments turned into improvements on the bike and your settings wise. So, it's been 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 fine. For it. You
0: mentioned the weather there. Obviously, the Aragon test here in Herath, then in November, and then we're here recording this now in Herath again in yeah. January, and the rain's been pretty much constant all the way through this week, same in Aragon, yep. and uh, when that happens in the, the start of the season, did the team try and make you ride the bike the way they think the Kawasaki should be ridden, Or do you manage to bring some of what, what you know from other bikes to the table?
2: It's a little bit of 50-50. Obviously, but the time on the bike's not been great in terms of track time. We had a good test in Hareth in November, the weather was good, um, managed to get plenty of laps in then this test is wet but I've done some wet laps on the bike and in terms of the how to ride the bike I think that this any bike you ride whether it's the, the Yamaha Ducati the Prilia, the BMW the Honda there's always going to be a, a ideal way to wrap, to get the most out of that bike also you're going to throw your own styling in there as well so they just give me some, some guidelines obviously I've been looking at what Jonathan does he does it so well it's stupid not to Say that, and what from what I see is that he he's been so great on the bike because he his start he he's adapt to his style or whatever, but how he is at the minute, he's riding the bike, he's like out and he's speeding and that's obviously what you know need to need to try and do, but. I think it feels like a more natural way to ride for me than, than probably the Yamaha. I'm a little bit more aggressive on the BSV tracks, and I think with this bike, it's a little bit big, bigger, more stable. You can be that bit more aggressive. So, um, yeah, obviously it's going to take a little bit of time. We need to. I need to be as much as my expectation for this year is really high. I need to be realistic early on and not try and run before I can walk with this bike. Just because I've got a lot of experience in the in the paddock it doesn't mean this bike and it gets straight and winning races straight away. Obviously, if we have a good test in Phillip Island, we need to see where we are, but that's one thing and the team give me a lot of support and just uh, not have any expectations until I'm fully up to speed level everything on the bike, but already, I feel quite good and I think it's not like I'm riding the bike Change this, 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 and this. It's just small tweaks now because I've already feel like I, I've
0: got an understanding of what we need to do. You said there you didn't want to run before you walk. If you think back to your first test on the Suzuki. Obviously, Phillip Island. Yep. You have a bad injury for your ankle. Yeah. Same with Yamaha mm. as well in 2016. You hurt your shoulder. Yeah. So just being able just to build yourself up. Yeah. Slowly with the is probably.
2: Yeah, ma- massively. a team are good, are good like that. Um, yeah. They've got a lot of to- different to what I expect I thought it might be a lot of pressure more or less early on but they obviously believe I can do a good job it's why I'm here and um, the season's a long season as, as they learned last year with, with Johnny and uh, Alvaro and Johnny being behind and then at the end of the year was was, was champion again it, it's not all about what happens now in tested or even at Philippine or the first two or three rounds you think it is because we're here now and we just want to get started but um yeah, I'm. I'm just conscious of, of getting good foundations um, on the bike, a good understanding of the bike, and I believe in that ability to, to be fast when I understand it. And I've already been yeah, probably faster than I expected, to be honest, with the, the, the amount of track time that I've had.
0: Yeah. Obviously, we're mentioning Johnny there as well. Yeah, you come in, teammate, a five-time world champion. Yeah, <laughs> at the very least, you're going to learn an awful lot from him. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's you don't really have to say that much about Johnny. Is you just have to look at the results and and. He's won five world titles on the bike. He doesn't ride itself. There's always been a teammate and other people on the bike and probably not always had the you know, the best bike on that day. But what he's done, in my opinion, is he, he, does so, he does what he needs to do. And if he has to finish second or third, he manages to do that so well. And then when he's in form and full of confidence, he's been unbeatable the last few years. And then at the end of the year, he's always actually ended up with pretty he's won, the, won all the titles quite easily they've never gone down to the last round I don't think So uh, one year in Qatar one year in Qatar so he's, he's dominated really um, but for me being next to him is, is great really I, I get on I get on with him um, obviously on the track uh, target in my life is to, to try and be World Superbike Champion so for now I just need to stay quiet take each day as it is focus on myself try and build up my understanding build up my speed and and I think sooner or later we'll be, will be mixing it up and and yes. yeah, hopefully
0: yes. getting involved. When you look at this season as a well whole as well, we've obviously got Honda back with a lot more emphasis, BMW in the second year, Kawasaki. Kawasaki obviously puts in all their racing investment. really for super bikes. Yamaha have Tenkada here again this yeah. year, so more. Yaman has on the bridge. The Championship clubs. So he's getting a lot stronger again.
2: Yeah, honestly, it's definitely the strongest it's been for a long time. I believe. Obviously, I've been in it for a lot of years now. And on paper, anyway, it looks like it's one of the. It's going to be one of the strongest years, which is what we want. Obviously, we want the closest racing possible, um, and that's it. There's, you know, the the hopefully the racing will speak for itself, and we'll have some good, battles different winners, and it'll be an interesting season.
0: Obviously, for you, you've won a World Superbike race but the go with that speed just to keep adding to that talent yeah you don't want to be the guy
2: that's just won one World Superbike race that's for sure but last last year certainly there was slim pickings for anyone other than uh, Alvaro and Johnny but uh, yeah like I said I'm, I'm not thinking that far ahead yet I'm really enjoying being part of this new team and the goal is clearly to win races let's see um, let's take it take it each test and race and hopefully um, well,
0: I believe it will be. We'll be adding a few more to that this year. It's been a little bit of a different winter for you as well. You've spent a lot of time in Barcelona over the mm-hmm. last few weeks before the arrest test, yep. and you've obviously, with the change of team, you've had to do an awful lot of different things. You've had different physical tests, yep. different uh, mental tests as well. As yep. You've had to do. So, if you want to just talk us through some of what that's been, yeah,
2: obviously it's a new team for me. So I did want to go to Barcelona, where the team are based, and spend a bit of time with all the guys behind the scenes. To show a bit of you know a bit of effort and, and get to know them all a little bit more but from the team side they've had me doing fitness tests and, and just working with a, a psychologist guy which some guys are against but i've i've done it a lot in the past and i, I quite like that obviously it's anything even if it makes one percent of difference it's worth trying in my opinion um so they've been giving me a lot of support and it's been like i said doing something new and and having a new team around me is just extra motivation it's exciting as well so um, in terms of physical training I've been riding sort of flat track supermoto in Spain and doing a lot of training out there it's just gone really well really I've enjoyed it I had a before Christmas I had an operation on my wrist to um, clear up a problem I was actually suffering from quite bad last year with my my wrist I had two operations one during the year last year which I I kept quiet and one straight after the tests in December just my wrist, I had a tendon problem in my wrist that was not really going to go away so I feel that's gone really well and my wrist feels good which is nice for me because last year it was after some of the races it was really painful and uh, yeah I've just spent some time with the wife and my brother and his, his daughter and the family and yeah recharged the
0: batteries ready for a nice fun year thanks for joining us in the show no problem cheers mate Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie here in Port And Gordon, we just heard from Alex Lowes there about his switch to Kawasaki and what he's expecting for this season. But one of the biggest switches we've seen this year, Scott Redding coming into World Superbikes, and he's looked really relaxed, hasn't he, all the way through the winter tests. He said in Aragon, his first group test, that he wants to lay down a marker, show everyone that he's not a rookie, that he's going to be here to challenge from the front this weekend in Portimao, though, was a little bit different. He seemed to be talking more about having to learn an awful lot and nearly just to, to
1: scale back some of the expectations that's been put putting him. Uh, yes, in a way, I think he just did a difficult uh, second day. He was a lot happier on the first day than the second. He said that his second day just didn't flow for him. He kept getting caught by red flags and disrupting his rhythm. But he still put in uh, our second fastest lap, nearly the fastest lap when he got on a qualifier. Uh, yeah, I think it's just, um, I think he'll be a force from the start because he's he's a racer um, and I think he's actually, strangely, even though he's the new guy in the team, he seems a lot happier with all the changes they've made on the bike over the winter from last year's bike than Chaz does. Chaz seems to be uh, not in as happy a place and certainly not as ready. And his overall setup package as as Redding does, so yeah, I think there was probably too much expectation from outside on Reading even that he was just going to come here and and cakewalk it. Some people have got that mentality about it all, and who knows what can happen? It's entirely possible. That's what used to happen in Motor Superbike. Guys would come from another class and 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 be the top man. They would come from BSB and be the top man. They would come from MotoGP and be the top man. And and there's no reason why Scott Redding can't be the guy that challenges Jonathan this year and Scott has already said to us that that's the target he knows if he can beat Jonathan he probably wins the world championship and and obviously he thinks that's perfectly possible
0: yeah and one of the things that we saw from Ducati for this week was because we weren't really sure how much development they'd be making over the winter with that bike but they do have a whole new rear end lots of new packaging and new swing arm and different parts onto the bike. So it does seem that they are trying to push that forward. And for Scott, it was quite interesting to hear what he had to say, that it wasn't really about trying to change any of the geometry with the bike or anything. That was mostly just about trying to give a little bit more feeling and try and just change some of the settings with that.
1: Stiffness seems to be the thing that they've changed at the back end uh, rather than ride tight. Basically, all they're trying to do is get the bike to, to turn better and maybe take a bit like that... Too hard, too over the top. Racer's edge away from the bike for one lap, and especially for twenty to give the rear tire to give the rear end and easier corner entry is all about rear control now. Uh, and if you haven't got that, you're you're toiling. And they seemed to struggle with that last year. That seemed to be one of the things was turning the bike. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think Reading is also because it's new for him. Any change is is, is a change. And a bike that was already a different spec because it was BSB anyway, a slightly different spec. So he's, you know, maybe more open to it. And Chaz is also very much the kind of guy who wants and needs to get his bike set up right and then he can win races. But if he's not happy, he can, he, you know, he, he really does tell on his performance sometimes. Uh, more, maybe it's got more of a, a just, okay, this is what I've got, I'll go for it. Yeah, we'll come back
0: to Chaz in a week while at the end of the show because we've got that interview with Chaz as well. So we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But Gordon, we've got a question from Neil Brown as well. Um, He was tweeting just uh, where, where do the balancing rules stand now going into the new season? Such as like for the RPM penalties. Do Ducati start where they ended last season? And uh, will there be any changes for anyone else? Will Kawasaki get docked for having won the championship? And from everything that we've seen, there'll be no changes. To that, it will be just what we ended last season with, Neil. So, really, for Ducati, they lose their 250 revs. Kawasaki stay where they were at the end of last season. Gordon, we've got a, just one quick question as well from Paul Van Vliet. And uh, Paul's asking us about Michael Vandermark and the Yamaha. Where do you see Vandermark for next season? How do you rate his season?
1: Uh, I think there's just one little step left for him. He He's obviously got a pretty fierce... Uh, Sunday Racer's uh, teammate now who has obviously adapted pretty quickly and pretty well to the Yamaha uh, I think Mike there has to be a step up in the whole thing uh, and Michael's expectations of himself and, and his consistency um, is he going to be a world champion next year? I don't know uh, but some there just has to be a little extra few percent from everybody in that team uh, including the rider Mikey's always an interesting one as well, isn't he? Because on his good days,
0: he's unbelievable. Yeah. He'll go out and he'll win in Horeth or almost win in Magni Corps like yes. last year when he's leading from the front. He'll beat Johnny in a straight up fight at uh, Donington and take the fight to him at Suzuka. But it's always the bad days for Mikey. It's where he'll end up finishing eighth when maybe finishing fifth or sixth would have been a, a good result on that day. And it's on those bad days that Mikey really needs to just make that small improvement. Only a couple of percent, as you say going Gordo, but just that is what's going to make the difference because this year in World Superbikes, it is going to be a lot more competitive. There's a lot more good bikes, a lot more riders that are going to feel that
1: they've got a real chance of challenging. Yes, they need to find that 1% more than the other guys got in their bike and themselves and their approach podiums are what you're paid for as a factor rider. Wins are really what you're paid for as a factor rider. But the, the best result possible and certainly getting yourself on the podium all the time. Whoever continues to score podium after podium will be a challenger. That's the lesson of last year. Okay, Jonathan after, uh, uh, after Batista ran away with it at the beginning. You have to stay in contention and those bad days are what take people out of championship contention. And there's going to be a lot more people to beat this year. How and where he finds that he's obviously got some changes in the, the, the his backup this year and maybe that's going to help him. That you know, the, and a new bike, that might be enough. All those little things that stopped him being consistent every weekend might be gone now because the Yamaha is just a better bike. We're going to have to wait and see because I I don't know the answer to that. I can't sit here and say, oh, well, because of this or that indicator or anything I've seen or heard. But his package should be better and he's got another year of experience. You mentioned it there, Gordo, as well,
0: just that it's going to take time. This is obviously a time of year whenever we try and just see everything you can from the times, from what you see out in track. And a lot of the time, it is irrelevant. Scott Redding actually talked a lot about it yesterday to us when he was saying, you don't know what tires people are on, you don't know what fuel they're yeah. on, you don't know what program they're on. So really, you're trying to divine the tea leaves without a full picture out there. Phillip Island comes, it's a unique track. Then you go to Qatar, another unique event as well. So those first two rounds may not even give us a full picture of what to expect as well.
1: It seldom does. And Philip Island being such a tyre sensitive track, so uh, one-sided as it were on the tyre wear, is a very difficult place to go and just say, OK, we're going to be good. Everybody's... You see races at Phillip Island that are a, a real race for three quarters of the distance and then the tyre wear starts to, to, to tell and the setup starts to tell. So it's a strange place. And Qatar is A, under floodlights and B, great big long straight. So the people with the fastest engines tend to have a, a better, easier time. Um, and also such a big wide track. Uh, it's it's a weird one. It's maybe even weirder, Qatar. So there are no really indicators. Everybody always says it only really starts when you get to Europe and that there's a, there's a merit to that except for what's happened for most of the last few years where by the time you get to Europe, everybody else is behind one guy. So if I was approaching this race as a team manager and trying to give advice to my rider, I'd be saying stay in contention, do the best results you can at these two cookie tracks and then that means you're still in contention for all the regular tracks, if you want to call them that.
0: Yeah, and that's what we saw last year. We saw just how long the season can be. We also saw, Gordo, and you mentioned there that factory riders are paid to win races and finish on the podiums. Yeah. Laura's Baz said to us yesterday, you know what? Being an independent rider is not too bad in world superbikes. He's on an independent bike. Javi Fares is back on an independent bike with uh, the Pachetti Kawasaki. Obviously, Top Rack won races with that last
1: year. Lots of podiums for Top Rack. The independent's not a bad bag to have these days. No, uh, as long as it's the right bike and the right setup. Yamaha have got a very good uh, customer service package um, and obviously very good. Tinkata won the world championship a few years ago, been here forever, they really know what they're about. And when they add people, they generally add people to improve things. So they haven't gone away have of and reformatted themselves with a lot of the same faces, but they've been able to pick the people they wanted from that group of people that used to be a bigger group. Um, they've grown a super sport arm, um, their ambitions are 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 high. Um, but they're getting good material, direct, and they're able to make the changes they want to themselves. So my understanding is at the end of last year that they went in a slightly different direction for the overall setup of the bike. Partly because Loris is so tall, but also because they just had different ideas. Thought, so, well we'll try that, let's try this. And they found some good fruit on the tree in that way. Um And Loris is a class act. Loris won races here before he went to MotoGP, didn't have the best bikes. But coming back to World Superbike for MotoGP is not a a bad thing for a rider training, for rider experience, Um and for the the level of competition more frequently you're going to meet. So he's come back as a more rounded and certainly desperately ambitious package. So... He's even talking about using his qualifiers better now whereas last year as soon as he put a qualifier on he said he was joking yesterday that he crashed almost every time he got on a qualifier uh, because what well, for whatever reason but now they've actually made ground in that as well and they started last year from they only started in Horeth, I think. Right, yeah. so there's they no testing no nothing this year they're showing what they can do with the testing and independent as long as you get access to a good bike and this is a very important point for people that maybe don't understand what it's about that deeply You can have that now as a team look at top rack. You can have what Johnny's got and you can have most of those parts for nothing. You get the same basic electronics as as they do, the same setup for the track, more or less. Yamaha are very good at spreading the love through all their teams. They've got the GRT and a Tinkata team now and a a bike that's proven to be a winner and a podium bike. And that's what Baz has got and the freedom not to follow the company line. Yeah, and it's
0: interesting you bring up GRT there as well, Gordon. We've got a question in from Peter Johnson, the big Moto America fan. And uh, he's taking a keen interest in GRT just because Garrett Gerloff's on that bike through this season. But uh, his question comes in and it's, why are the GRT team not racing the 2020 or one He doesn't understand this. And uh, basically, just looking at that, what what uh Dusley has said, it's been down to financial reasons for the team, but uh Peter writing in just talks that every national Yamaha Superbike team are getting the 2020 bike, but GRT can't. What's up
1: with that? Uh the budgetary side is is always gonna be their thing. The you know the are if it's to do with budget, that's fine. But I don't see the huge difference between re-equipping with twenty but the the bikes are gonna to be totally refreshed this year, so why not do it at twenty twenty? Uh, or even three races in just make the change based on what the experiences are about of the factory guys I don't really understand that and I have been told it's going to be all year um, and, but also from Yamaha's point of view from the team that's one matter but from Yamaha's point of view they say well this is a rider training development of riders team which is why they have made the choices, the, the changes they made. And if you remember back, why people said, how come the Landry's in GRT when it's supposed to be a junior team, or a development team, you know, the most experienced guy there is. Um, so they're following through on their own philosophy there. But I, I kind of don't really get why they're not going to go 2020. If it's budgetary, it seems like that that's the last 5% of budget, which is maybe the most important 5%. If that bike's better... Why not spend the money to get that the twenty twenty bikes? I I don't really get that one myself, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as well. I don't really understand it. And talking to girl off as well this week, he
1: actually rode really well. Yeah, at both tests. No, he was good. Looks he was like he's good. he's going to hit the ground running. More confident. I spoke to him yesterday, and he said that it's frustrating for him because every improvement he makes, and he does, he has been making them, especially this test, everybody else does. Well, that's the you know that's a jumping level of racing and more people and more competitive bikes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if I was him, I'd be a lot happier now than I would have been when I had those first tests on it, when it must have looked very daunting and he does seem a little bit rabbits in the headlights thing. But his work ethic's good. He's, he's, his attitude's very good. Uh, and he's getting faster. He's learning. He's got an experienced bunch of people behind him. There's absolutely no reason why he can't maximise the package that he's got underneath him here. And yeah, I'm so far so good. Yeah, I've been, I've been impressed by him and... Uh... Speaking to him,
0: he said all the right things as well. Like he did say that, you know, it's not ideal to be on the 2019 bike, but the limiting factor right now isn't going to be the bike. It's about trying to get yourself up to speed. His teammates, Federico Caracasulo, And Carica looks a little bit lost right now in these tests. He doesn't look like he's he looks like he's trying to ride far too aggressively for this bike. And maybe by the time we get to Phillip Islands, that'll all calm down. And he'll be able to get a bit more out of himself and that bike. But for Gordoff, it really is a case of trying to use these early rounds, get yourself up to speed, and then see what happens. Maybe down the line there will be the option of upgrading to that 2020 bike. But as you said, Gordo, right now, as it stands, looks
1: like that's not going to be a possibility for them. Um, the only thing I could think of now is that ultimately they've got all that material from last year for all those bikes that's are still perfectly good and still capable of getting bikes on the podium. And maybe that's what they're talking about in terms of budget. It may be a combined thing that they've got all this very good factory material that GRT will now get the benefit of. That might be what they're thinking from their side. And it's already there. It's available. Um, But I think the Yamaha philosophy is, well, it's a training team. It's a junior team. it's It's a development team for the future. You know, that's the only thing I can think of why they wouldn't make that change even halfway through the year.
0: Yeah, quite possible. Just when you look at that 2020 bike as well, Gordo, and um, we talked a few times, at various times through the weekend to the Yamaha riders, to people within Yamaha about some of the changes that are happening with that bike. A lot of it seems to be engine internals just to find a little bit more top end. They've made some improvements as well with new fairings and different things like that, just trying to try and improve the packaging, and give the riders a little bit more protection as well Was one of the big things. But um, do you think is there actually going to be that significant a jump for the 2020 bike? Is it? a full up- upgraded bike or do you think it's just an updated bike?
1: I think it's very much updated but it's also upgraded. It's just not a jump. It's not a revolutionary uh, jump. It's a, it's an incremental jump which is what you need in racing. Um, but I think from what I've spoken to all the Yamaha people about it whether it's the riders or the, the tech guys it's all designed little bits lots of little bits to move you forward. That is the Obviously, that redesign has a lot to do with racing and keeping the performance figures up. And so, yes, it's not a jump for me. It's a movement forward. Uh, and maybe that's going to be enough, but it also may not be given that you've got this radical new Honda. You've already got the, the high-water mark of pure performance when you get it tamed and that Ducati. Um, and you've got the mega consistency of the most equivalent bike to them, which is the Kawasaki so you've got to break through those walls. Is, that, is it going to be enough to do that? Well, okay, I touched on it earlier and I, I still don't know. It's going to be completely up to the, the the guys that have got on it and the guys behind it. It's a little change. It's a, it's a little change, but in lots and lots of areas and maybe that's the difference. Maybe that bike is going to be mint after 20 laps every race track. If they can do that, they're always going to be able to compete. We've still got our
0: interview with Chaz Davis to come up at the end of this show, but before that, let's talk about BMW as well. This is a big year for BMW, second year of this programme. You spoke to Sean Muir after the first day and he said the target is to finish fourth in the championship with Tom Sykes. Is that a realistic goal?
1: Uh, Yes, if they can get the bike to suit Tom's very individualistic style at every track. If they can do that, there's no reason why. Tom's a world champion. Uh, Troy Corsa, to me, is the biggest... uh, correlation between riders over the, the between the decades is Tom Seitz and Troy Corser. Troy Corser was a two-time world champion, one at the beginning of his career and one towards the end. Uh, Tom has obviously got all the capabilities he had in the past, uh, but he has got a very particular riding style. Troy Corser had a particular riding style and Tom's the same in his own way, not Troy style, but uh, uh, his own style that nobody else seems to have. If they can tell the bike to do that and get him the bike the way he wants it, He's fine. He also liked all the stuff that he changed to when he came to BMW last year. He made instant happier than he was on the, the material he had before, partly because of the development direction and the million other things we could touch on. But that bike's better. He didn't, he said to me yesterday, he didn't complain about the lack of power, um, which was his big problem last year. So again, he's he's got, I think that BMW should be more improved even though it's the same model, than, for example, maybe the Yamaha looks like it's going to, from here, at this point in the year, and seeing the test results, I think the BMW, they spent all their time still making them, they're making bigger changes, and they've taken longer to get there, than even the new Yamaha, from my point of view, but it's because they had so much work left over from last year, partly because of testing things, partly because of budgets, partly because of development opportunities, and verifying that things are going to be okay, that really complicated shift cam thing they've got there it takes a lot of machining and only a few companies are, are good enough to do it to the standard that they need to make it reliable and a performance improvement. It took a lot to get that BMW to where it ended up last year. And they're still working through quite basic things. I mean, <laughs> Eugene was talking about being a test rider in Hareth in for, for, for parts. Uh, Tom, again this weekend, didn't go for a time. He was relatively okay with the times but he didn't go for one he, he wasn't aiming for that and usually he's the kind of guy that does want to leave with a really good time um and all they did was work on various things do this do this do this do this and now and, and this seems to be in australia is where they're going to put it all together i don't think they did that here yeah definitely
0: from everything that the team have said it was moving from one direction to the other to the next to the one after that. And they were just trying to put everything together, data collection as much as anything else. But we're not going to talk too much about Eugene Laverty because I'm going to sit down with him in Australia for the pre-season show as well. But uh, as you said there, Laverty just spent the Hereth test as a test rider. This week was about then using Portimao to try and really understand the electronics. Looks like he
1: made a step forward with that as well. Yes, that's the big thing was the the engine management side for him via the electronics. You can kind of, once you've got the, the engine set and the power you can make... Then it's all about where you put it, and that's all can all be done mostly done through electronics now, mapping and so on. And he 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 said the initial throttle, the the, the severity of the engine was too much, uh, and what they did, that's what they were doing in the earth was basically sorting all that out. So there was linear and easy uh, and controllable to use the power. If your bike's not responding right or too sharp off a throttle, you have to close the throttle. You you want to build up to peak power. Uh, that's his way. Um, And they've made good strides as well. I think like a lot of people, they might not be quite ready for Philip Island. Depends how their two days of testing go. Depends on the weather. Depends on the red flags. All those things and variable. Depends on the seagulls and the the crazy grey geese things that you get at Philip Island. How many times have we been there and people went out to do something? Verify this and and you stop for 20 minutes. while They chase a load of geese off the track. It's going to be an interesting start to the year because I don't think many people are going to be a million percent ready.
0: Yeah, the Cape Barren geese are actually a very interesting bird. They I do. They, 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 they do their hunting by the scent of smell as well. Oh, like no, birds. no. Oh, no. They're, don't,
1: they're, don't.
0: they're, they're a cracking cracking, uh, crackin goose. How big are they? Have I got to worry about these guys? They're the fucking goose. massive, so they are. <laughs> I think they're. Uh, I remember Greg Haynes commented that they were the uh, weight of uh, 20 domestic cats. Wow. Well, well, that, 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 that,
1: that's, my cat's quite light, so I don't yeah. know if that makes them quite big I or quite small. A, I don't know if there is a European standard domestic cat size, but, I mean, fair enough. I'm, yeah. I'm not arguing with that. But um, the thing is, are they big or are they just far away? Are they small or are they just far away or big and very near? That's what I want Th- to They're know. far away from the media centre. That's all that matters to us, Gordo. A, yeah, as long as... But, it's a, you know, I mean, I mean, we're having a laugh here, but ultimately, you never you're not guaranteed two full days in all Island and not just because of the weather, because of all these other weird things. So, it's, you know, I think we're going to start the season with a few people still not ready and that's going to make it more unpredictable, which is all the better.
0: Yeah, that's the thing because we'll laugh and joke about the geese, but they do actually sit on the racetrack with no fear whatsoever. Well, whether that's fear, a lack of fear or a lack of intelligence, I'm not sure. But they do sit there. That's why we end up having a lot of red flags during the test. But... uh, You mentioned there goal to the time for Philip Island and uh, obviously the clock is ticking down. That's why it was really important for Leon Camier to get out this week on the Ducati, on the Barney Ducati. He switched bikes, finally able to get his first taste of that bike. And for Leon, this was completely unplanned. He had gone to Portimao just to learn and understand the team and different things. He had shoulder surgery not so long ago and when we sat down with him, at various times on the Sunday, he told both of us independently, "I'm not riding this weekend." I came back after lunch and I saw, "Oh, why is the number two on the front of that uh, Barney Ducati?
1: Yeah, I I, can't, I have to say I had a very deep conversation with him uh, after the during the first day of testing, where he was standing in pit lane, and he's saying all the right things about, "I really don't want to make this injury any worse. I've got a lot of inflammation. It's the, the initial recovery was really fast, but now that it, it's it's." Really slow and it's difficult and he was worried. He goes for a bit of shoulder manipulation, and and suddenly has this religious experience and decides he's going to ride and I say okay. Also predicated by the fact that uh, Cortese uh, um, had a big crash, that his sub rider had a big crash, but I was absolutely amazed that he got it and I mean really amazed uh, because what he's had done and the details of it is uh, far too much to go into here. But that was really complicated and still fragile, you know. Shoulder he's got there, which he's had problems with before, and he went out again. I, I was—I've never been the most shocked. This whole test, that might have been the most shocking thing that I saw at this test was was Leon going out on a bike. But he came off it, and he was—he was—he seemed pretty happy. He seemed pretty relaxed. He's certainly smiling. He wasn't smiling the first day, and he was smiling and joking at the end after we did his interview yesterday. I think it was important psychologically. For him to have done that Physi- physically, that was a big risk. And his team were a bit nervous, but it was his decision. I asked his team manager, is it your decision? His decision it's Leon's decision, Leon's decision. And obviously it paid off. He, he, he seems to be much happier and hopefully be ready. Yeah, and
0: he now knows quite a bit more about the Ducati. He said himself, he only rode around 20, 25 laps yesterday, yeah. cruising around, not trying to push too hard. But he did at least understand just how important the electronics are in the Ducati. He actually said that the electronics strangle the Ducati and that's how they want to have the bike set up so that the electronics actually dictate an awful lot for you. Very powerful bike, even for Sandro Cortese. When he jumped off after the first day, he said the same thing. It's This is a full-on MotoGP bike, really aggressive, really physical for the riders as well. So you really need to work hard on it. We saw last year with Chaz Davis, that it took him a long time to get up to speed with this bike. Yeah, and for Chaz, for Camier, for Cortese, riders that have come through using electronics but not relying on electronics, it's quite different to then transition to this kind of bike. And for Chaz and for Camier especially, it is something that's going to take a long time. Camier said yesterday he wants to try and learn the bike without electronics and then add the electronics to it, but Ducati just won't allow that. So. For Cammy, are we going to see a
1: similar sort of learning experience to what Chaz went through last year? That's the one difficulty. The, what he did glean from is exactly what you said. Uh, I think any rider in any team will run the bike with as little electronics as possible when they get a new bike or a new rider to get the the mechanical grip thing, all those traditional things that a bike needs to have or else you, you can't mask those with electronics. You can improve on tyre life and you can improve on corner entry and things with, with electronics. But you, yeah, that's the one worry I would have if I was him, is that they're maybe not going to let him go to get his base bike the way he wants, but they have got a lot of experience in this bike now and maybe they've done all that with everybody else and they've realised that there's only so far you can go and maybe the bike is is so hard to ride, it's too risky so they need to introduce it the way, it, with all the electronics and the, way, and the way Ducati say the electronics should be uh, Leon said yesterday he's, he's basically got it's a whole different way of working with the electronics that Ducati have compared to the bike he had last year and other bikes in the past um, But Um so there's got to be a reason for that whether it's a good reason whether it's just them being nervous maybe they want you to introduce a lot of control to him because he was they knew he was recently injured or rec- recently recovered from surgery maybe uh, so there might be that element as well in his particular case but yes that's a very hard edged motorbike that is a different beast from most of the other ones uh, that you find in this product as a base machine and certainly when you turn it into a race bike and all that engine performance and all those revs need to be controlled somehow and the electronics is the only way to do it if you, if you want to be fast and you want to win it anyway
0: yeah a bit of a monster show here for one of our pre-season shows as I said we've got the interview with Charles Davis just coming up at the end of the show but uh, for Gordo you talked to Charles yesterday and uh, how did he feel the test had gone
1: uh yeah, it's still difficult for him. He's making big uh component choice changes at the minute. He's he's still working on which forks he's gonna use, last year's or this year's. He's still working on the setup of those forks. What you know, what way, what direction they're gonna go in. Um as well as all the new stuff that the Ducatis brought from the, the the back end of the bike. So yeah, that's a, it's a pile of work that he's had to get through and he's not finished. They they need those two days in, in Australia. Uh, to be happy with it all Uh, I think I think think Charles would want to be much further ahead and much more settled to just go to Australia and get you set up for the race and that hasn't happened despite the testing Um, yeah there was a lot of uh, major surgery going on with that bike when you looked in the garage over these two days a lot
0: yeah and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens for Chaz in these early races? I talked to him a little bit during this interview that's going to follow just about the fact that this is a big year for all the riders because all the contracts, MotoGP, World Superbikes, are all up for renewal and you need to be able to hit the ground running. So if you go to Phillip Island, it's still a little bit uncertain about anything like that. It could have a really big impact on where you find yourself for 2021 as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a big year for Chaz. obviously. Um, he's He's been a Ducati rider for a long time. Uh, when you're a factory rider, they want you to win. He managed to, from a really tough start to last year, he did actually manage to win races and, and, and make some great performances through the year um, on a bike that was actually much more familiar, in essence, to his teammate from MotoGP than than him from his experience in World Superbike. So it's it's a very difficult year for Chas, he has to kind of prove something again, which Shouldn't be the case for a guy with his experience and his ability to win races. He's won loads of races, he's a real competitor and a real challenger. But uh, he did say that if everything goes okay in the Australian Test, we're ready for the, the, the season. And we do know from Charles that even if he's got problems here and there, once he gets a set-up he can use, he's a Sunday morning man as much as anybody. So he can make a difference in the races. He's a really good racer, Is well, but he's very sensitive for his setup. And getting it right, and he's that's correct. The better you get your setup, the better your results are going to be. Um, but Chaz manages to be both those things. He's quite sensitive in setup, but he really want when you put him in front of a, a bunch of competitors, he's he he'll always give it his hundred percent and get the best result he can.
0: Okay, well we'll hear from Chaz Davis now. So for myself, Steve English, and from Gordon Ritchie, we'll no the next time we. Talk, Gordo. It's going to be when we're sitting down in the sun of Phillip Sunbon. Island, nice coffee in front of us. Sunburnt chasing geese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that'll be us, mate. I
0: can't wait. Should be quite good. So we'll leave you with Chaz Davis. Thanks for listening to today's show. It's a bit of a long show, but uh should be quite enjoyable given the uh, interviews there with Alex Lowe's and now Chaz Davis as well. So until the next time on the Paddock Packs podcast for myself, Steve English, and Gordon Ritchie, thanks for joining us. Cheers. So Chaz Davis joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast and Chaz, we're looking forward to the 2020 season and uh, for everyone a new season is always a fresh start but given how the start of last year went how important is it for you to be able to look at this year and think about the good points from the second half of last year and just build on that? Yeah
3: I think it's really important if we'd have finished last year as we we started then I think that would have been a that would have been a bit of a head scratcher because we obviously very far off at the start of the season and at the end of the season we were consistent podiums so um, sort of back to what I've known for the last five, six years something like that Um, so yeah that was uh, that was important to set ourselves up for winter to know that the base is there and we've always got that to go back to um, and i think that gives a lot of confidence in itself because it's like we know those settings we know that bike we know exactly that now let's try and improve upon that let's try and put my feedback into the development and and make another step forward because there are still steps to take even with the bike that we've got with zero development i, I still feel like there's there's improvements to be made with some some clever work um, Uh, yeah, so now we've got that and that gives me confidence. At at this time last year, I couldn't couldn't tell you that um, I had a base because I I didn't know the bike. I I
1: wasn't
3: 100% healthy, but I didn't know the bike at all. I didn't really know how to get the best out of it. At that point, we were very far outside the window in terms of setup um, allowing me to sort of exploit my strengths as, as a rider. So I think you know, Twelve months later, I've won a race on it. I've had multiple podiums. I know the setup. I I know what's gone right for me when the results have been good. I know what's gone wrong for me when they weren't so good. So with that that year of experience, I think is uh, is gold.
0: A year ago, you joined us on the podcast at Emily, I think it was, and you said that usually when you jump onto a new bike it takes you a lot longer than some other riders to get yourself up to speed to try and learn and understand everything you need and then you're able to push that really did seem to be the case last year especially
3: yeah yeah i think i i compute stuff a little bit slowly sometimes um it's going in it just takes me time to to understand and also the feedback side I, I, i think it wasn't only on my side there was a technical element to it last year where we needed to uh, we needed to find the right way for me. But, yeah, I'm, I know that that's not my strong point, is jumping on something and, and flying straight away. That's just not that's not me as a character or a rider. So, um, yeah, that having that information now and and growing throughout last year was is, uh, a good step for this. Story,
0: 2020 is a really interesting year for everyone across pretty much any paddock yeah. everyone's contracts up for renewal so it's going to be really important for all riders to hit the ground running from the first races of the season yeah definitely yeah like I said there's a lot of contracts up for
3: renewal um but it's something that i don't think you can really think about too much it'll be what it'll be just try and get the the best out of myself and the package and try and put all that we know into good practice um and then you know, those sort of things will play out, and for good or bad, we'll be in a, a situation where, where ho- hopefully, I can stay in this uh, in this family for, for a bit longer. But it's not something on my the forefront of my mind. I'm not going into the early part of the season thinking that you really need to do well because the 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 contracts up you know, up for renewal. So I've always sort of tried to get the best out of myself. You know, Matter with his contract on the line or not
0: you mentioned there about how long you've been with Ducati I think this is your seventh season with them yeah. so it's not very often that we've seen any manufacturer really hang on to riders for that length of time when you think back to when you joined in 2014 that state superbike program had gone a long time without winning a race you were the rider that really did drive forward that program for four or five seasons do you think now with this new bike ready to understand that you'll be able to Get yourself back to being able to challenge for championships, win a lot of races?
3: Yeah, I really hope so.
0: Uh, obviously I've been,
3: as you said, with Ducati for, seven, this is my seventh season now, um, which is a really long time. If you look at the continuity of manufacturer and bike before uh, before the spell with Ducati, was next to zero for all of my career. So, I was grateful of a two-year contract when I first started with Ducati, and seven years later, um, here we are. So, but well, obviously, a new bike changes everything. So, um, I'm grateful to have started this uh, era with a V4, with um, with a two-year contract. So, it does allow me that time that I need to to, to learn and adapt. Um, which obviously, it doesn't ever get easier with with age, but it's still i still professional motorbike rider, so you find a way to, to adapt yourself, even even if um, you know I've, I've, I've developed my style for the for the, the twin a little bit, and there's certain things now where I can continue to develop for the V4 and in, in myself so having that extra year is is just what I need to to be able
0: to just further progress myself and uh, yeah make sure we get the most out of myself. If you were to look back say ten years when we were winning the Super Sport World Championship and you could give yourself one piece of advice from now to, to back then what do you think it would be
3: um, cool. um it's a good question and um, it's, t- it's tough to answer because yes there's, there's a lot of things I think that you learn as time goes on but in the moment it's quite difficult to sometimes see the woods through the trees sort of thing um, so yeah I, I know, it's I, I think probably I think which has happened and which has done me over the world of good is that is the continuity factor so clients from manufacturer to manufacturer or teams even if they're in the same team we change bikes and things like that and obviously going up through the super sport ranks that's always going to happen but then getting into Superbike it was two different or three different bikes in the first three years um, before then I got on there for the second year of Ducati contract and I think that that is something that maybe a little bit of um, stability early on would have, would be uh, would have maybe put me in a better position, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, but you know, it's all about what opportunities are available at the time. It's not you, know, you go for the opportunity, not the it, wherever the best opportunity lies, you just go for it. So it's yeah, it's difficult to, to sort of look back now and say I wouldn't really change anything, to be honest with you. Um, no no regrets, but I
0: think the continuity. Another one, just looking back, obviously when you were racing in America, it was yourself and Michael Laverty sharing hotels and moving around the country at that stage working together. And when you look at yourself and Michael now, when you look at the training you do with John McFree, Bradley Ray, a lot of other riders that you've all worked together with out in Spain, what's the big benefit that you get from just having those shared experiences with other riders?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question. It's pretty pretty apt at the end of winter you know, when you spend a lot of time together with other, other riders so Michael now is obviously in a different stage of his career but there were years in the last not so recent um, or I mean not so long ago where we'd spend the winters together and, um, and like I said with John Bradley Ray Brad Smith the Um we've always sort of done the winters as groups A because it's more fun um, and I think you push to get the best out of yourself because there's other other uh, um riders who are, who are there pushing you and um, I think that that's quite a big aspect of improving and I I looked at myself quite hard in, back a few years ago and, and tried to understand how I need to improve, like what was the next step for me to try and improve and it was um, making some of the changes that I did, so surrounding myself with a better environment to, to ride a bit more, to to uh advance my skills and um but also riding with other guys and trying to a learn off them that we have the competitive environment um you know, we're, we're, I think that's never never a bad thing but also at the same time I'm always very wary each winter because it is we're all competitive males with you know, pretty handy skills on, on motorbikes so when we get to to any type of track you're all everybody wants to be faster than one another and it can come at the expense of you a know, hospital trip and you got to have that in the back of your mind all the time so there's there's a, there's a line to draw um and yeah so i think you've just got to strike that balance of getting the training done in the best possible way but also making sure we make it to philadelphia
0: I'll tell you what given everyone's competitive then and you don't want to say who's fastest in any type of bike who's faster in a go-kart <laughs> i take that one and sound i I've had a few a few disputing answers about that actually so but when
3: I would, if we I've never actually drove against McPhee on a go-kart, but, I mean, he's clearly got a massive weight advantage. So we'll stick some lead on him. He's got no chance. He'll have no chance. But, actually, that drives really well. Michael's good. He's a good car. But Well, he driver, lives he's. on a go-kart track now. Exactly. He spends spend more time on the kart track than what I do these days. But, no, he's uh, he's a very good tidy
0: driver. Um yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on the show, Chaz, and best of luck for this season. You're welcome. Thank you.